Today, we're taking a close look at the FDI regime in Australia. And joining me is Matt Fitzgerald, a corporate partner in our Brisbane office, and Stephen Adams, Senior Director at Global Council. Matt, to start us off, could you give us an overview of the current FERB regime in Australia and the recent changes that have taken place? Sure. So foreign investment in Australia is regulated by the Foreign Investment Review Board, otherwise known as FERB. And essentially, FERB looks at investments by foreign persons above certain financial material thresholds. And as you might expect, certain sectors are subject to tighter rules than others. The main issue that is considered when FERB is looking at a a foreign direct investment is whether that will be in the best interests of Australia. And there is a a national interest test that's applied. And that is is a broader test than some other jurisdictions where there is only a a national security test applied. Um, As you also might expect, there are favourable regimes applicable for countries which Australia has foreign trade agreements with, including the United States, the United Kingdom and Japan. And the general rule is that when a foreign country investor is taking an interest of 20% or more in the equity of an Australian company, that may require FERB approval and that is subject to materiality thresholds. And there are also a number of sectors where tighter rules apply. The main ones that those um, apply to are media, telecommunications, defence and an agribusiness. And in terms of recent changes to the FERB legislation, um, it was completely rewritten three years ago and since then there have been a number of tweaks to the legislation but nothing really substantial. I think the most recent key change is that FERB is now looking more closely at any foreign investment into what is called critical infrastructure. And so that would include pipelines, ports and the like. And it's fair to say that FERB is placing a lot of scrutiny on any acquisitions by foreign parties of assets in that critical infrastructure space. Stephen, can you talk through the political factors that you think are currently influencing foreign direct investment regulation in Australia? Sure. Well, I mean, I think it's in many respects, it's been been a difficult few years um, for um, uh, for the politics of inward investment in Australia and particularly inward investment from China. And that we've uh, I think the last year or so have has obviously seen some attempts to try and stabilise the relationship. You've seen a falling off to some extent in uh, investment in asset qualities like um, mining, which are, which have been, um, or, or mineral, natural resources, which have been very sensitive uh, from the point of view of uh, both the, both the Australian public and Australian policymakers. Um, and obviously, you had the the signing of the FTA uh, in 2014, which. I think for many on both sides represented a kind of attempt to try and create a new platform from which to develop the relationship. But it's in some ways just the nature of 
the uh, Australian relationship with China that it's inevitably drawn into the wider universe of the world's relationship with China, and particularly, I think, the, the United States' relationship with China. And both for, you know, uh, well, particularly for long-standing reasons of, uh, of, of geopolitical cooperation, Australia has, to a certain extent, found itself in the difficult position of having to balance its relationships with these two large partners and powers. Um, the, the, the problem as well, I think, has also been exacerbated over the last 12 to 18 months by a set of parallel but linked questions around um, China's wider influence in Australia and in Australian politics, uh, the extent to which it's um, played a role or sought to play a a role in Australian elections. Um, And I think that's created a a mix in which both sides have uh, have struggled to to keep the the relationship stable. Um, You've at the specific level of the uh, of the FIRB, of course, you've also you've also had a very important decision at the beginning of this year, not formally made, but which reflects clearly the thinking uh, of the policymakers around the the, the FIRB process, um, which links essentially to their take on the latest iteration of Chinese industrial policy and the extent to which uh, China's um, uh, view of its relationship with its private sector m- must have a consequence for the way Chinese investment is seen in Australia. And that's um, that, that decision uh, implicitly to, to treat uh, you know, any Chinese investment as essentially state-backed um, is, uh, is one that's going to inevitably shape the, the next year and, and thereafter as this debate plays out in Australia. Um, and it's, it's, had a, it's had a negative um, it, it, it's triggered a negative reaction in China as well, of course. And Stephen, you, you've talked about the relationship between Australia and China, but just th- just thinking about other foreign buyers, to what extent is investment in Australia attractive for them, and how, what, what's the role that you think FERB has played in that? Oh, well, there's no question. I think Australia has benefited um, from a perception as, of being a both prosperous and stable uh, environment for inward investment. Um, you know, it's a, it's it's, a, it's had a very good two decades uh, in a global context in terms of uh, its underlying uh, growth and the sense that there are opportunities in real estate, there are opportunities in uh, strong yields and in, in utility assets, um, and it, it's I think seen a, a commensurate level of interest. And I think if you think back to say the way the the FARB regime was streamlined in 2015, 2016. I think that was a, you know, that that, that had a brought that had, that had quite a uh, an open and liberal tone to it, and it was generally about trying to make the inward regime, inward investment regime, as facilitative and open as possible. Um, but then, of course, um, you know, you have the counter. The, the counter pressure or the counter tension of, of of China and the question of China's influence, and it's, uh, I mean, I think in some ways, you know, it's um, unless unless you work in jurisdictions like Australia or New Zealand, if you look at this problem from the northern hemisphere, it can often be easy to miss just how the extent to which this question of how to relate to China, uh, how, how how different it can look. In terms of recent developments, Matt, how's the regime being applied in practice? And do you think we're seeing an increase in the number of transactions being blocked on FDI grounds? So Australia is is a country that needs foreign investment and, and there's a long history of successful foreign investments. So the 
regime is being applied by FERB on perhaps a slightly tighter basis than has been the case in the past, but the overwhelming position is that FERB approves foreign investment and the number of rejections that the Foreign Investment Review Board has made are very limited. And so there's probably only a handful of cases over the last 10 years where FERB has actually rejected an application. So whilst closer scrutiny is definitely being applied on foreign investment, the reality is that that rarely results in a rejection of an application, but it may result in certain conditions being applied to that application for approval to be given. And the key, the key conditions that are typically applied involve tax conditions, which are aimed at preventing tax leakage, and also conditions which seek to maintain Australian operation of assets, Australian head office, and potentially a majority of directors based in Australia. And so whilst there have been a number of high-profile rejections by FERB, a couple of which I'll briefly outline, the overwhelming position is that FERB approves investments rather than rejects them. Probably two exceptions to that which I will call out. One was in the agribusiness sector and one was in the oil and gas sector. In agribusiness, it's fair to say that that is given a lot of scrutiny by FERB and the reason for that is um, agricultural land is considered to be sensitive and higher thresholds um, or higher scrutiny is placed on any acquisitions of material parcels of, of agricultural land in Australia. The most prominent example of, of this recently has been a proposed sale of a very large parcel of land um, held by a famous farming and landholding company called Kidman. And Kidman actually was a, a public company held by the Kidman family and it held approximately 2% of the total land in Australia. So being a very large country, that's a very large holding of land, and it also held land which was adjacent to certain military sites that the Australian Defence Force held and operated. And so there was a foreign party um, based in China which sought to acquire Kidman, and that was blocked on, on natural on national interest grounds. And, and the main reason cited was proximity to defence facilities. And so what happened in the end was that particular transaction proceeded with a different counterparty, an Australian counterparty and a Chinese joint venture partner. And that was approved by FERB subject to certain conditions, including um, a carving out of the properties that were adjacent to defence facilities. So that was one example. Another example of a FERB rejection was when there was the proposed takeover of the listed entity, the APA Group, by a consortium led by CK Infrastructure Holdings Limited, otherwise known as CKI. Now, the target entity in this case, APA, is a leading Australian energy infrastructure business and it's the largest owner of gas transmission assets in Australia. And CKI was already well known in Australian circles as an investor and did actually have significant Australian gas and electricity assets already. And this uh, proposed takeover 
um, was was not approved by FERB and it was not approved on national interest grounds. And uh, this isn't the first time that CKI has had some difficulties obtaining FERB approval, notwithstanding that it does have significant interests in Australia. And just in terms of tips on how foreign buyers should manage the more political aspects of getting through a FERB filing, what would your top tips be, Stephen? I don't think they're different from anywhere else, really. And I I think probably the key thing is just recognising the extent to which the immediate political context can be relevant. And I think one of the the challenges over the last uh, 10 years or so in jurisdictions like Australia has, has been reading... The landscape in terms of attitudes to Chinese inward investment in particular, because it has it has fluctuated with different administrations. The sort of the headline political narrative has has changed with uh, with different with different administrations, um, and understanding the way that that can feed into the public narrative around an investment is clearly important. So I think, to be honest, the, the advice isn't in, in Australia is no different from the advice anywhere else, which is just that the, 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 the potential cost of complacency or, or, or dismissing um, this, at this part of the transaction process is potentially very high, and it's important to read the tea leaves well um, early on so that you understand where you're exposed or if you're exposed. From a practical perspective, Matt, how would you recommend foreign buyers engage with FERB? So the the, the key thing, I think, is to engage early and to have a, a dialogue with FERB as soon as possible once you've worked out your, your target and your transaction timeline. It gets a little bit more complicated when you have a competitive sale process because often competitive sale processes will dictate exactly when you are allowed to engage with with FERB. But assuming you don't have those restrictions, the idea would be to engage early to provide clear summaries of what you're seeking to do and trigger the statutory deadline for your decision to be made, which is generally 30 days, as, as soon as possible. And again, if you have all of your information available up front, you will usually get a decision from FERB within approximately 40 days. And so what, what that means is you can normally build that into your transaction timetable because most transactions will take two to four months to execute. And so the secret really is engaging early so that you can have your regulatory approval regime ticking simultaneously with any other things that need to be done as part of your transaction. Thanks, Matt. Many people would say that Australia has been a leader in the regulation of foreign investment. Matt, based on your experience, what recommendations would you have for buyers facing an increasingly stringent and complex global network of foreign investment regimes? The the secret really is to undertake careful analysis up front on, on all of your all of your regulatory approvals, because the the reality is that Many transactions require approvals across many different jurisdictions and there may be foreign investment approvals such as FER, but there may also be antitrust approvals. And so really you need to set up a, a timetable and a timeline to work out when your approvals um, will be needed, how long they will take, what is involved and how you can synthesise all of those together. I think the other piece is 
you, you will need to ascertain where the key risk areas are in your approval matrix because generally speaking, there'll often be one or two jurisdictions which may be more problematic from a antitrust or foreign direct investment perspective and others that will be less problematic based on size and scale of operations in each jurisdiction. And so that becomes particularly complicated in a global acquisition where you have a myriad of different regimes. From an Australian perspective, um, the, the Foreign Investment Review Board is quite sophisticated. It does understand that a lot of acquisitions are part of a bigger picture. And so, again, by engaging early with FERB on your transaction, if Australia is but one piece, potentially a small piece, making sure it's clear what the timelines are for the broader transaction and seeking to ensure they are very clear on the deadlines you are working towards, they will usually take that into account in their decision-making process. And because FERB do commit to making a decision within 40 days, that is often a timeline that is amenable to a broader global transaction where some regulatory authorities may take longer than that time period to make a decision. Thank you, Matt and Stephen. As you've said, Australia is one of our longest established foreign investment regimes, so I found it very interesting hearing more about how it's working in practice and some of the general themes. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Our next podcast in our foreign investment series is going to focus next week on China and Southeast Asia, so please do listen in then. If you've got any feedback or questions at all, please do let me know on veronica.roberts at hsf.com.